recorded live. Scuba Obsessed, a weekly podcast we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 350 is recorded live November 16th, 2017. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where we are getting ready for that time of year where we start doing the all sorts of crazy things in the water because it's a little chilly and we're the only ones left diving. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. And how about yourself today? I am doing wonderful. Another day. We're another day closer to next summer. That's kind of how I'm looking at it. I I, well, I don't believe I used to have the, the seasonal affective disorder or whatever that thing is, but Man, it is, it is, this, this short days are just getting to me. Uh, I, I worked retail at one point in time. And the nice thing about that is there was so much light in the stores. I didn't, you, know, you just didn't even notice. It didn't, the season really didn't matter, but uh, I'm going to have to take one of these offices and just juice it up with a bunch of LEDs or something because uh, I just, I get home at 530 and I'm like, wow, it's, it must be midnight time to go to bed. Oh, it's about like that. But both kids use SAD lights, SAD lights. Uh-huh. They're a special ones. It's just not regular. And uh, it makes a heck of a difference, they said, especially when it gets dark at 5 o'clock. Yeah, I, I mean, I can understand that, uh, you know, the, the spectrum of the light would make a difference. But for me, it's just plain psychological. Uh, you know, it's, it's dark. You go to bed. I mean, that's just kind of how you're conditioned. So. Yep. You know, just, uh, you know, eat a bunch of cake and ice cream and go to bed. And, you know, isn't, isn't that what the holidays are for? <laughs> <laughs> Everything revolves around food. It, it seems to be. Uh, you know, I, I, I lose weight, you know, 10 months out of the year, and then I gain it two months out of the year. And this last year, we had extra, uh, what was it, uh, graduation parties is what did it for me in the summer. Uh, I'm hoping this year to avoid it, so... Uh, I'm missing one. I'm going to be in the doghouse this weekend because I'm going to miss the family uh, in-laws uh, holiday party, which was their Thanksgiving and Christmas, because I've got to do a fundraiser for the robotics, uh, selling hot dogs and brats at the Notre Dame football game. So that'll be that'll be something. I'd like to thank everybody. Uh, you, you, Go ahead. I was going to say, you can always say, well, maybe they'll lose and it'll make a good day after all. <laughs> yeah. I just want what what I, I haven't been able to figure it out. I all I want them to do is to spend money. If they spend more and they win, then win. If they spend more and they lose, then lose. But I haven't quite figured it out. We're in the student section, so they're pretty much chintzy anyway. They're chintzy and drunk, honestly, is is what we run into. Drunk people wanting discounts. So, I'd like to thank uh, everybody who's showing up in the chat room. We have Dave Toneman. We have uh, let's see, Derek is in there again this week. Uh, I did another test of the audio bridge earlier today, 
and uh, I'm finding out a lot of ways that don't work. <laughs> the the audio software I was doing, and I am joining the collective. Uh, like if you looked at my computer right now, uh, you're hearing me through a PC, but I had used a Mac, and I'm, I've got the the show notes and stuff are up in the Mac. But I was hoping to use the Mac as an audio bridge and bridge between Skype and Discord, but it doesn't seem to want to work that way. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. We've pasted the news stories into the Discord chat room. First article is talking about shipwreck artifacts and coins are topping the Sedwick Treasure Auction 22. Uh, Coin Week has reported that three large silver bars recovered from the Atosha shipwreck, which was sunk in 1622 off Florida, made an impressive showing on the sale. One bar lot 207 or 217, weighing in 89 pounds or 0.5 troy ounces, at the top of the auction with a price of $47,587.50 U.S. Another bar lot 2116, slightly larger than the first at 89 pounds, 11.68 troy ounces, came in at $30,550. Lot 218, a smaller yet higher grade, 43 pounds, 4.4 troy ounce, earned $23,500. And so this is for silver. I don't don't know if that was above spot prices or not. I was was just figuring that must have been $11.68 per troy ounce times 16 times 89. That must be. That's what the value is, because I was going to say, otherwise, I want 89 pounds. <laughs> well, <laughs> and it well, must have been diluted if only 11 pounds, and I just figured it out. That's 11.68 per troy ounce. Oh, okay, because I was trying to, because I know troy ounces are a little different than, than U.S. ounces, aren't they? Yeah, um, yeah, but I'm, I couldn't figure out what this 4.4 troy ounce, unless that's say, 43 pounds of 4.4 troy ounce bars. That's the only thing I could figure, but oh, could that be? Oh, maybe that is what it is. Maybe it's pounds, the ounces. So it 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 came out eighty nine pounds eleven sixty eight troy ounces. So pounds ounces. Okay, yeah, that that would make sense. I it didn't quite go together. It's it's troy ounces and pounds are getting to be something that we use less and less. I'm pretty sure of. Yeah, because I, I don't really remember what silver is right now, but it's what maybe six or seven bucks. Yeah, it's not pounds. super super pricey, but yeah. So they they I'm guessing that they were getting a little bit of a premium for historic value. But if you saw that, uh, yeah, yeah, well, look good for them. And then this next article, this one's out of SportsDiver.com. Ghost Nets Revenge, divers removed fishing net plague reef for 16 years. Back in 2000, as a unit diving officer at Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute, Panama City, uh, the author was looking for spots to train divers. It took them all over the Panama Bay, sometimes places with absolutely no value in terms of dive training, but sometimes to great sites. Uh, one of the good ones near the Otuk Island, about 27 miles southwest of Panama City with great underwater topography, was a healthy ecosystem and perfect training site. On his first exploration there, they found something he never wanted to find, a huge abandoned fishing net that had come to rest on the seafloor, smothering a considerable portion of the rock reef. 
Ghost nets are commercial fishing nets that have been abandoned at sea, either lost or deliberately discarded, carried by currents or tides that traverse the world's oceans, snaring fish as they drift. These nets do not discriminate, capturing endangered species such as sea turtles, all manners of small fish, countless pieces of marine debris. Throughout the 2000s, the author used Otuk Island for training, scientific collection photographs, times passed, things changed. He accepted a position with the Conservation International, took the projects all over the globe, but he always hoped to go back to Panama and get rid of that net. The plan began with the reunitement of local non-government organizations and government agencies. Last year, he traveled to Panama, met with a newly formed ghost net removal team, and explained the plan. The team took a few exploratory dives, planned logistics, shared concerns on the last dive. They cut a little piece off the net and hung it on his whiteboard. At the headquarters as concert miner, the plan. The day came on September 9, 2016. A crew of divers, including the author, were uh, sailed, did some, uh, saw some whales breaching the distance, and uh, that was a sign of their success. After gearing up, we jumped in, removed an immense heavy net. Is not an easy task, he said. You can't just rip up the whole thing in one try, or you risk potentially doing more damage to the reef. Also, you just can't drag it away with a boat. The team had to use inflatable lift bags to elevate sections of the neck off the reef. It was arduous work, exploring and filming sections first, cutting and pulling sections of the net, lifting the air to the lift bag, communicating with other divers to avoid uh, anyone being ensnared in the net itself. Uh, Nearly two decades after the net was discovered there, they managed to raise a portion of it to the surface. They repeated the same operation at least three more times before having to change tanks. Flush with the success of their first dive, the second one went even more smoothly. They worked to remove nearly the entire net. In the end, we expected they expected 90% of the massive net. Uh, one of the divers said, for our next mission, we need to support boats and more divers. We aim to monitor, uh, he said, we aim to monitor the comeback of the marine life in this rocky reef and more ghost net removal efforts gain support from the Environmental Ministry and other partners. I hope Panama can lead the way in ridding the ocean of these destructive threats. So do they have any pictures in there of that net? Yeah. Yeah, they got they show one on the boat. So that's a fairly fine meshed net. So that would have certainly been smothering that reef. Mac, have you ever tried to do any net removal? Yes, I have, and it's a real pain in the butt. There's actually one down by the... Uh, Whirlpool Basin, when you go around the corner where they used to dock the old boats mm-hmm. by the uh, mill there, uh, there's one there. Yes. And it had floats and stuff on it. And that is so inter- intertwined between the sticks and trees and rocks and pain in the butt. And if you were to get snagged on it, uh, you know, in low vis, it's a real pain to try to, you know, get yourself unhooked. That one gives me the willies every time I see it. I just, it just mentally, I almost feel like that net is going to suck me in and I'm going to be entrapped. So it's just not a pleasant feeling to come up with yeah. something. I mean, I prefer leaders and fishing line over a net. Yeah, well, sort of. I did nets, yeah. And I have seen them float like that, the same type, up in Lake Huron. We found uh, one floating. I think I've mentioned that before in another podcast. Uh-huh. It had broken free. There's only a couple of markers on the surface. We were under it, and it's like, darn. Uh, you're talking a very, very large net. Well, the thing about that is you just got to think of what happens if whatever was holding it up just let go. Yeah. 
Well, we tagged it with, with floats and mm-hmm. then let the Coast Guard know, and they went out and recovered it. Oh, so they did recover it. Good, good. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was just it was a heck of a hazard. Plus, like you said, the fish in it, indiscriminate. Yeah, it, it just takes whatever fish comes by, and they don't know how to navigate out of those, and many times they can't. They just, it's, they're going to die and rot, and it just keeps getting more and more, and uh, we don't have that many predators in the water, but if we did, like they do in the ocean, then you, you start attracting predators, and they get caught up in it. Yep. And then Referring back to your first article for a second, mm-hmm. uh, spot price of silver today is $17.14 an ounce. Yeah, so it's come up a little bit since, because I can remember as a kid, I think it was like $5 an ounce or something. Well, in 2012, it was selling for $35 an ounce. Ooh, yeah, so uh, there's some peaks there. (laughs) Peaks and valleys. Yep. Uh, The U.S. Navy looks to hagfish slime for military uses. Did you look at the pictures for that? Yeah, and I don't know if people have seen hagfish, but I've seen videos of them. Uh, when they do the slime and just it's 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 like somehow it snots its own weight. It must Remember that stuff you used to get in a tube and you could squeeze it out with it and then you'd have a like a very small draw and you could blow and it would expand and make big bubbles out of it. You, you that, it. The consistency of that, that, that yeah. bubble you could make. That's what that picture the guy has of that he's stretching in his hands. Yeah, it's it, it's uh unbelievable. Uh, a biochemist and an engineer at the Naval Surface Warfare Center in Panama City, Florida, managed to recreate the slime from the Pacific hagfish, which is an eel-like spineless fish that releases a sticky substance to defend itself from predators. They believe the fish slime, which when combined with water forms a strong and elastic sheet, can be used by Navy ships as an extra-layer defense. Uh, the hagfish, in response to attacks from predators, it releases the slime from its glands that clog the gills of its attackers and has a mechanical property simpler, similar to Kevlar. The synthetic hagfish slime may be used for ballistic protection, firefighting, anti-fouling, diver protection, or anti-shark spray, says biochemist Josh Cogat in a Navy statement. It's quite a few potential applications. As of now, there aren't many details on how far it will go, but the main uses being considered at the moment seem to be protection against projectiles and prevention of biofouling, which is when organisms typically barnacles attach themselves to ships, a multi-million dollar nuisance. So my question would be, so, okay, you figured out how to make it. How are you going to apply it for that particular purpose? Is it going to stay on there or is it, do you have something where you, you repeatedly spray it on? And that's the other part is how long does it stay on? Mm-hmm. And how easy would it be to get off to resurface it? Yeah. Don't know, but it sounds interesting to all get out. Yeah. Well, anytime you can make something like that for another purpose. Was it fire protection was one of them? Yeah, so it must be something to do with um, not wanting to be flammable. Maybe. I mean, it really sounds versatile, doesn't it? Yeah. And then one more article from uh, Sports Diver Magazine, and the article is what it's like to experience an earthquake while scuba diving. Have you ever been in an experience where you where your senses know what's going on, but your brain can't catch up? Uh, this author, uh, Tanya Burnett, had one. Ten minutes into her dive in the Philippines, she involuntarily went fetal, covered her ears against a crackling roar, 
like percussion of two close fireworks and scream of a 747 about 10 feet overhead. My chest hurt, my gut ached, and my ears were ringing. Adding to the disorientation was being suspended in the relative calm of the water while the bottom shook violently just below her. Soft coral whipped back and forth, sand lifted off the bottom into the water column. Her equilibrium started to get mushy and she closed her eyes. Many long seconds later, the harshness faded and all that was left was a dull, constant rumble like a generator vibrating in a boat. Really strange, but probably better down there than on land. She recovered a little and relaxed her limbs and started moving along the bottom. Several more small jolts occurred as fish jerked slightly in concern. Then a crack, another big one hit with all the acoustics and animation of the first. Suspended between fascination and fear, she realized uh, she was an unexpected participant in a -a once-in-a-lifetime event, and she held on for the ride. They had four significant quakes during the 45-minute dive before they finally aborted. The epicenter for them was likely less than a mile from where they were diving. The strongest was a 7.0. Wow, that is a that was a big one, and to be right there at it, I, I, I mean, the fact you survived and you were that close is pretty incredible. Because uh, I mean, water is non-compressible, so any of that force is just going to be passed right through you. A lot of it, you're at mercy of the uh, the frequency. Did you take a look at the video? No, I, I. There's no way I can I can watch it on this internet connection. That would have freaked me out. You're sitting there all of a sudden, and you can see the bottom undulate. And then, of course, if it's moving, all that silt comes up. So what was pretty much uh, pristine visibility started going to hell in a handbasket from the aspect that even though it stayed low, it's like uh, the bottom disappeared, and it's moving. Uh, That was really freaky looking. And there's a whole bunch of divers in this video, and it's like, uh, what's going on, folks? Yeah. Well, and that's when you say you have to be prepared. I mean, that's something you need to be prepared for, because that can happen anywhere. There's probably how do you prepare, how do you prepare yourself for that? Well, having some dive skills. Are you are you the type of diver that if visibility goes to crap, you don't know what to do? Because that's I mean, I'm imagining, especially where where they were at, that's that's clear visibility normally. So if all you've done is tropical clear water diving and all of a sudden and you go to, you know, six, eight inches of visibility, what are you going to do? Well, I would have thought the acoustic aspects and the pressure wave would have been the one that would, uh, I mean, you can't prepare for that and you've not experienced it. And if, have you ever, I mean, I've been on the water and had explosions at some distance and I've welded on the water where you have blowouts or you have a, mm-hmm. you make the rod go in and you make a pocket and the damn thing blows up in your chest. Yeah. You know, that's uncomfortable, but, you know, 747, 10 feet over my head, that would freak me out, I think. I don't, you know, how do you prepare for 745 doing a, you know, 10 pass over your head? You just have, uh, I don't think you can prepare for that, but all the things that go with it that you can, that you should be prepared for, you know, the low visibility, maybe a little bit of disorientation, remaining calm. Yeah, that, the interesting part is, did you have a clue what was going on? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can remain calm if you have an idea what it is, but out of the blue, that would that would be quite interesting. Well, I had, and it was nowhere near what they had here, but I can remember having, uh, being through an earthquake here in Michigan, and it was, I don't know, in the last 30 years, how many have we had, maybe three or four? And 
I was underneath a car that I had jacked up and was doing a repair on. <laughs> and I was, it was, uh, these, these, I had to replace the starter and, uh, there was a fuse link that went to the starter and it was, it was my soon to be wife's car. And I was, I was underneath it and the car started to rock. And I thought it was her messing with me, and I'm thinking, well, that's kind of a crappy way. <laughs> I mean, you don't know that that jack stand or, or something isn't going to come loose. So I crawled out from under the car, and I stood up. And and before that, I was I was I was saying something, and her mom, who was sitting on a picnic table, said she's not there. And I got up, and I I was walking, and it was like my legs were wobbly, and I'm like, what the heck is this? And then we had read later it was an earthquake, but you know, even after experiencing it. You just, we just don't have earthquakes around here that you think of. Uh, I don't think they let me go back to San Francisco anymore. <laughs> My last three visits, I've had an earthquake each time I've been there. Well, maybe they don't want you back in San Francisco. Is there do? I don't, I don't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> they're due. Let's see. Uh, you, you tell me when you're flying there, and I'm going to short some stock. <laughs> <laughs> some high tech stock or something and Max had in the San Francisco. Well, I'm glad everybody was, was okay in this. But I thought it was interesting. They talked about that. It was strong enough to force evacuations on land, caused landslides and structural damage. And then they said they went back out and they really only found minor damage to the reef. Now that's what I found interesting. The thing I've seen with, uh, with earthquakes uh, from, from watching programs, is it really ends up being landslides that can be the most devastating when it's related to water. So if you've got a cliff and then that that a section breaks off and it slides into the water, you can create a tsunami or a, a, a tidal wave that can go hundreds of thousands of miles. Yep. That's one of the biggest causes of that is those, uh, like you said, underwater avalanche displacing the side of a mountain. Yep. And... Creates that wave. Yeah. So uh, short of that, uh, it's probably an actually a, a little bit more protected because you're, you know, the the you have the weight of all that water, kind of pressing down. There's a there's a National Geographic show I'm sure, based, that could be based on that. Oh yeah. I think the most other exciting thing I'd like to sort of experience <laughs> is being in Hawaii and watching the lava flow underwater. Ooh, that You've seen nice. those? Yeah, I've seen those. You've seen those, right? Yeah. And uh, the audio is quite interesting where you get that crackling noise and whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'd want to be in the vicinity of where the objects from the volcano come impacting the water, though. No, no, I do not want the uh, the rocks falling down, the hot rocks falling on my head. Yeah, Mount Vesuvius visiting is not my idea. No, no, no. It's, uh, yeah, I imagine it's got to be kind of hard to time that as well. And then we had another article, How Do You Float a Bulldozer After It Sinks? And this, let's see, who does this? This is from LakeExpo.com. And they're talking about, uh, which is part of the Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, they have a man, Captain Tim McNutt. He spent 30 years swimming in danger and adventuring from the Mississippi River to the Lake of the Ozarks. He runs Atlantis Dive and Dock Salvage. He explores deep waters as far as Kansas, Tennessee, Illinois. When something expensive sinks, they usually call him. The bulldozer was six, is under uh, 60 feet of water. Lake of the Ozarks perched on a ledge about another 35-foot drop to the bottom. McNitt typically uses airbags to lift sunken items. I said backs, airbags. 
The few airbags will lift most boats right back to surface. He dives down, strategically places the deflated airbags and inflates them from the surface. But it was trickier, the dozer. Placing the bags on it and starting to fill them with air could have tipped it off the ledge it was sitting on, sending an incredibly heavy piece of equipment 35 feet deeper in the lake that made recovery much more difficult. Even after getting to the surface, the hardest part of the job was still ahead of him. The number of airbags required to lift the objects creates serious problems in the towboat that had to drag it to shore. Uh, he, the towboat struggled for two miles at max speed of one mile an hour. Uh, once ashore, the massive crane lifted a dozer out of the lake. And then he, they go on and they, they say all the other things that he's he's done. You know, houseboats, docks, other miscellaneous equipment, barges. He says, well, Egypt, I was going to say, Jim gave a hand whenever the Wilhelm Balm sunk. Yeah, well, he he and I both both went and did that recovery. All right, and uh, I, it's uh, if you're up there now, it's on display, mm-hmm. uh, more of a mock-up or not a mock-up, of a model uh, outside in front of the Maritime Museum, and it's quite quite interesting. That must have been a little bit of fun working on that. Yeah, that one wasn't too bad. Uh, it had well, I won't say too bad. It was it had sunk in the bottom there. This was in South Haven, and we had to get a. Uh, a strap underneath it. So he and I went down. I, I'm trying to remember if we both were in at the same time. I think we did. One went down and then the other one went down. I think we, we spotted each other. Then uh, there was a list of things they wanted us to do, and we and we did what we could. They, they I don't think they actually raised it that day. They tried. <coughs> they were they had pumps on it trying to pump it up, and it, it needed some lift bags, which I think is probably what they eventually did. But... Uh, a lot of work, but a lot of fun, especially when you're successful. Yeah, yeah. I I, en- I enjoy doing that. I mean, I'm by no means a commercial diver, but uh, you know, that's the type of stuff I, I wouldn't want to do to be paid because there, there's certain things. Like uh, I, l- I like doing house construction, but I am nowhere near quick enough at it to make a living, but I enjoy it when I do it. And, you know, underwater activities like that, it's kind of the same way, you know. You know, when, when there's when there's time and a schedule on it, yeah, it kind of takes the fun out of it. I think. Well, money sure makes for uh, some of the sometime. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like light salvage and recovery. Yeah, like I a, always dislike it when it's X marks the spot. Well, is it ever X marks the spot? Not when it's in the open water. It doesn't. <laughs> Never. If it was X marks the spot, they wouldn't have called you. They'd have already had it up. And then we have an article from the News Journal Online. Hundreds of tour ships, oh, hundred hundreds tour ships to be sunk. I keep thinking a hundred tour uh, uh, tour ships to be sunk. I'm like, wow, that's a that's a pretty bad day. Uh, at uh, Velocia's next artificial reef, so they've got a ship that they've uh, cleaned up to have sunk, and people are uh, touring the Lady. Philomena during a public event on Saturday at the Down the Hatch Restaurant Marina in Ponce Inlet. Uh, the open house for two ships that hopes to sink offshore this week drew huge crowds over the weekend. Sightseers of all ages clambered up and down the ladders and peered in the engine room and cabinets of the vessel de- destined to become an artificial reef. This is genius, Don Boyer, Dayton Beach Shores dive instructor, said the Orin- of the county's event for public tours. It gives people an idea of where their tax money is going to work. 
The county, with the help of partners and sponsors, including the Coastal Conservation Association, spent about $250,000 to have the vessels thoroughly cleaned and readied for a trip to the bottom of the sea. The rest at about 80 to 85 feet, 9 miles east of Daytona Beach, using a colorful permanent marker provided by the county. Visitors left their names all over the walls of both 90-foot tug Everglades and 150-foot steel cargo ship Lady Philomena. Soon the walls of ships will be covered with microscopic organisms, corals, and other marine life. But for the weekend, they were filled with messages, some clever, some cute. Some promised a repeat visit once the vessel was resting in the bottom of the sea. I'm coming back when this is underwater. Others made note that Saturday it was Veterans Day's. Several paid tribute to Disney's movies, The Little Mermaid, with greetings of Ariel and the Mermaid and Ursula the Sea Witch. One message simply stated, Rust in Peace. The boats will join 148 other artificial reef sites the county has developed since 1980, a mixture of vessels, aircraft, and piles of concrete, culverts, and other materials. On Saturday, county officials estimate at least 1,000 people toured the vessels. After hearing about the county's growing artificial reef program, this is the first time many of them had a chance to get a closer look. Well, if I was a diver, I would certainly tour that boat before they sank it, take some pictures, and then I'd go back down afterwards and I'd have me a good reference because I've been there already. Yeah. I'm just curious how they prepared it for divers also. Did they make uh, accessibility to the interior an easy entrance and out so you couldn't get trapped? You know what I mean? You're starting to see that more common. Uh, this would look to be a fairly open boat, so the question would be, Did they open up some of the interior cabins? Because it looks like, I can't tell if it's a forward or aft house in this photo. It might be an aft house, wouldn't you say? I'm trying to, like I see other pictures of it. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell. Well, they have the major hatches off in the the center hole. That's a big one. Not too much worry about the pilot house and the top two decks there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's not too much you couldn't hit a wall walk around the wall and find your way out. Yeah. And the interior looks to be quite open. Yeah. Yeah, she seemed to be pretty much opened up, doesn't she? Yeah, fairly open. Like you said, they kept the hatches off. Uh, I don't know if this is, is this a double hold? I mean, it could be, some of these could, if they start to break down, then that's where it could could get a little bit uh, dicey. But as with anything else along this lines, it's people going in the areas they shouldn't go. Wow. Did you see that map showing the artificial reefs? No, where was that at? I didn't see it. If you go down farther in the, oh, the yeah, article, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. there are a lot of them. Well, what they say, 156 or something? Yeah. But that visualization really takes it home of how, how much Florida's invested in getting people to go and do some diving. Uh, how long well, do those... Well, it's money. It's money. Yeah. And the, the key there, though, I think is... The availability for divers to utilize it is increased because it's warmer mm-hmm. other than the occasional hurricane. The weather is not all that bad, and they're putting them in nice locations that you're not di- you know, and they're not taking a five-hour boat trip to get someplace. Well, we could do the same thing here. I'm, I'm still convinced that a couple good shipwrecks out of St. Joe, and you could generate a million dollars or $2 million a year in local economy revenue. Well, I had an opportunity uh, the other day to uh, be part of a presentation that's called Our Town, St. Joe. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they basically, they went out and interviewed 25 different people. And, you know, we were there 15 minutes or so, and then they're going to cut it down to whatever they want. But one of the first questions that was asked was uh, about the Maritime Preserve. 
I referenced, you know, how far offshore it went, you know, 130 feet, five miles, whichever came first. It ended up past South Haven down to almost New Buffalo. And the key item, it's not supported by any kind of money. We don't have any money, but if we had it, we'd use it to put buoys on wreck because they bring in money to the local economy. And they see this, they've got 156. If we could put a decent-sized wreck at 100 feet off the St. Joe Piers, five miles or a couple of miles away from the piers, we would draw people here like crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would not be a rubble wreck. It would be a freaking wreck. Right. And if we could put one of those every couple of, you know, townships up and down, yeah. you would you would be spending some money because you'd want to hit them all. Yeah. Well, and and they're, missing, they're missing a boat, not letting us do that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you put one in New Buffalo. You do one in St. Joe. You do one in South Haven. You do one in Holland. Uh Keep going up, Muskegon, you know, Grand Haven, all all the way up. Yeah, and, and I can see the T-shirt already for each locale. They got their own wreck, and then if you're a good diver, you've got a shirt with all the wrecks on it that you hit. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, you could you could do some money there. Yeah, and you when you come in to dive a wreck, you're going to come in and you've got to get gas, you've got to get food. Uh, if you're traveling with significant other, they're going to want to do some sightseeing. And a lot of the east coast of Lake Michigan or the west coast of Michigan is going to, is, is touristy. I mean, you've got Saugatuck, you've got St. Joe, you've got South Haven. Those are all very touristy places, so there's plenty to do. Well, especially during the summer, because, right, so you bring the kids, the wife doesn't want to go on the boat, unless you're the diver, and hopefully she would. But some of the seasoned older guys who might, and the wife might not want to do that, you could take the kids or grandkids to Silver Beach, to Scornia Beach, or Lions Park. You got the the carousel. You've got the, the huge fountain area now, and then you still got the bluffs. And if you combine it with the weekends, they have you know the antiques under the cars or the you know what I'm saying. And South Haven does that. It would yeah. be nice and a moneymaker. Yeah, uh, th- maybe that's, a, that's something I've got to push a little bit heavier as soon as I get through this. Next robotic season, maybe that'll become one of my projects. Is trying to get some support for, support for that because it it needs to be a combination of economic development and tourism that engage in that. Yeah, you you'd have to go down and talk to people in Florida and find out in a community, for example, is there a, a cost benefit analysis? You know, mm-hmm. what's the return on the investment? Yeah. Because you, you need to, to put together a presentation. The other thing is, if you if you sink them out there, but then you have no way of getting people to it, then that will be a problem. So you've you've got to work some of the angles. Uh, you know, maybe for a season or two, you have to subsidize a, a boat operation, or you maybe have to do some sort of education. Because I've seen uh, we've had dive charters in the area who have migrated to fishing because they've ended up making more money. Uh, doing fishing charters, so maybe you'd have to do some sort of incentive to get some of those guys back into the the dive. Because the thing with it is, you can't be a pure dive boat unless you've you've got enough to keep all your weekends busy. Well, I keep looking up to Sheboygan, for example. Uh, you know, how many dive shops do you have, and are they seasonal? And the ones that are there, other than the one that just went down because of somebody sold their building out from under them. But those guys were busy all the time with their charters in the summer because they've got tons of wrecks from shallow to technical. Mm-hmm. 
And again, it's a, you've got that uh, a tourist location. Everybody knows Mackinac Island, and then you've got Mackinac City, and there's plenty to do there uh, that draw people in. Well, I, th- I like I said, I think we're missing the boat, and down the line, it's got to be you know proposed to the right people up here, and maybe even get some support from, of course, Whirlpool, perhaps. Well, why don't we take a break from the news for a little bit and talk about the topic that we had for this week. Uh, we're, we're missing Kevin and Jim who had other obligations, but I think Mac and I can can handle this this one. We are getting to that time of the year where we are thinking about the holiday season and uh, gift giving. So the thought was that we would come up with a list of, uh, we broke up the three different categories, gifts under 20, gifts 20 to 300, and then gifts, really money is no object. So 300 to 10,000, uh, maybe more, uh, you know, anything over 10,000, uh, that's just plain crazy. Uh, so let's start with the gifts under 20, and maybe we'll go uh, back and forth, Mac. So we'll just uh, uh, we'll, we'll start with your first one, and then I'll, I'll do the second one and so on. Of, okay, I uh, did my – just a little different. I did under 20, under 50, under 100, and under 200, and then I've got my unlimited. Okay. But for under 20, and this does come because they'll say, what do you want? Mm-hmm. You know, and I usually – just buy me an air card. Yes. You know, that's already 30 bucks right there. But – for under 20, a hat. Now, most people already have a dive hat or a club hat, but by the same token, you can get a nice fleece beanie because then you can wear it under your dry hood or your wet hood. Mm-hmm. That's double duty. And if you don't want to wear it under there, when you get out and you take it off, part of that, get yourself dry first, dry your head, put your warm fleece beanie on. Mm-hmm. Well, beanie is a quick one for me. Yep. Uh, no, I agree with your air fill. Nitrox fill for the, and if you're listening to this program trying to get ideas, what you do is you find out the dive shop that they're, that they frequent, go in the dive shop and find out if they have an air fill card. Uh, worst case, they've got a gift card that you can use and buy for it, you know, pick a bunch of fills, but many of them would have an air fill card and it's at a discount. So not only are you buying air fills, but you're getting it at a, at a good value. What, what is Wolf's, is it a $30 card now? Yeah. Yeah. Normally it's 40 so I'll take a 30 because I'm there a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, most of us are. So, you know, $3 air fill, the 3000 plus, yeah. hey, you can't beat that. And the Nitrox, we're going to start doing a Nitrox card next year. Yeah. Yep. So you, you've got that. Uh, something else I, I I thought is, you know, I, I was thinking at least at this $20 and less are what are things that a diver can use and, and not have too many of them Uh because you're always, whenever you buy something for somebody's hobby, you have a chance that you're not getting them the right thing or that's not what they want. Uh, so you're going to have to to know a little bit about your uh, we call it we call it gift victim. Is I, I'm not thinking the marketing people would go for that, but uh, but for an item that anybody can use, a safe one is mass defogger, and and you've got two options. You either go the, the store bought. Mass defogger, and, and that should be, I'm thinking, what a six to nine dollar item, or you can do what Jim has been advocating since he must own stock in Johnson and Johnson, which is the No More Tears baby shampoo, which you can get a fairly good sized bottle for under twenty dollars, and and that, that will last you a couple lifetimes of Mass defogger. Uh, did you have another item? 
Well, along that same line, though, I had a, it's called a gift bag of small necessities. Mm-hmm. And one is a small net bag, and in that you had defog, and you can have commercial or you can have baby shampoo, which I use. Ear, the same thing for ear, because I dive in the river or a golf pond. I like to put the, the ear dryings up in there. Uh, O-ring, you always lose one at the most inopportune time. Yes. I have sunscreen, the small capsule type, chapstick, and a bottle of water. You put that because you're going to use that if you're on a boat, if you're out there on the beach. All of that's going to come in handy. Yeah. And and to kind of go along with that, I, I had uh, a save-a-dive kit, which you can either buy one at the store. They'll sell them. Uh, I looked online, and they're anywhere from 12 to $19. We, we advocate getting them from your local dive shops, but they're, they're readily available. Or you can put one together, uh, which would, like you said, would contain things like your O-ring, uh, maybe a replacement mouthpiece, uh, you know, a spare fin strap, some zip ties. Uh, Absolutely on those items because, again, when you need one, you need one now. Yeah. And, and the thing with a zip tie, and, and even maybe, even it sounds silly, but uh, some duct tape. I mean, you can hold together, do quite a bit with some duct tape. You can, you know, fa- fabric some cordage out of it. You can use it to, uh, you know, repair a hole in a wetsuit temporarily. Uh, or a dry suit. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody's, and I, I use that new Gorilla Tape. That is better than most duct tape I found around here. Yeah, I haven't tried it, but uh, based on the commercials, <laughs> it looks I, it looks pretty good. I have been using that lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then then some other items that uh, can kind of go along with that. I'm I'm thinking is that uh, some of those uh, lumen sticks or the light sticks. You know, you uh, the chemical stick where you crack them and and they light. Uh, they they're great if you're going to do a, a night dive. And you uh, you know break one open, zip tie it to your valve tank, and now uh, your dive partners can and buddies can see where you're at. And it's available to put inside it, uh, the pocket at the top of your SMB. Mm-hmm. And with that, another simple cheap item is make sure they got a good high velocity whistle and or mirror that can also go with that lumen in your SMB. Yep, and then. Again, with the the light stick, is you could also have, uh, if you're doing a, a night river dive, you know, you can attach it to your dive flag, and and you can get dive flags. Wolf's has a, a variety of simple dive flags, not the whole flag assembly, but just the flag itself, uh, that for for less than ten or fifteen dollars. Uh, yeah, and then uh, if they're a dry suit diver, uh, you can never have too much talc. So you, you want the unsetted talc, you know, baby powder. It's like a uh, – now, can you use cornstarch, Mac? Would that I be have, the same thing? Okay. I have used cornstarch. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if the official recommendation is that you can use it. but Because uh, uh, I know some sometimes people have had a challenge finding the unscented. You don't want the, the scented or extra elements into it because it can, uh, from what I understand, attack some of the seals. But just a plain unscented talc is great. And then uh, wax. Uh, to be used on zippers of both wetsuits and dry suits. Uh, so that's what I had in my under twenty category. Now you had a, uh, uh, a what a, a twenty to thirty category. I had I had an under fifty, oh, okay. but more than twenty. And the two easy ones though, you might need a new snorkel. Mm-hmm. GoPro case, meaning for transport, not just because it's underwater type, and a dry bag. And I love my dry bag because. I don't care where you put it, especially in an inflatable, 
if you want to have a dry towel and a dry shirt and a dry whatever, you damn well got to have a dry bag because it's going to get wet if you don't. Mm-hmm. Well, something I have that's probably in that same category. Now, you're going to have to know a little bit more about your diver, but it's going to be some dive gloves because especially here with the zebra mussels, uh, an active diver is going to go through a pair of gloves, if not every season, every other season. So, uh, you know, some five-finger gloves, you know, know their their hand size. Uh, I'm not sure those are under 50, though. I think my last pair was more than that. <laughs> was it? But, but you're right, though. If I use them for grubbing, they're good for one good season, and then I've got lots of artificial skin all over them. Yes. Well, and, that, and that's uh, something else uh, maybe that fits back in the save-a-dive category. It, it, not something you can use right away, but is some of that uh, uh, neoprene repair. Or marine goop. I use that sucker. That stuff will set in two minutes, and you're good to go. Now, that, that would be good for a save-a-dive oh, kit then. Oh, let me tell you. I think that runs about 6 $7 a tube, mm-hmm. but it's a huge tube. It's not dinky. Yeah. And then the other thing I was thinking of, if, if they're getting into, if, they, if you know they're an ice diver, something that you, you maybe can't find all the time, but is some of those, uh, we call them like an ice clampons. You know, they, they, they slip onto uh, the shoes or boots, the little ice spikes. Right. The type that we use every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we have two varieties. Dumb Sports has them right, not right now, actually. It's the ones that are rubber have studs in them, so you can put them over your boots. Yes. And the other one are, like you said, the little clampons that you can hook in, uh, especially if you have hard soles in your dry suit mm-hmm. or dry boots, as they fit right in that little arch. So when you're on the ice, it makes a hell of a difference if you got tanks in your back and you're walking on the ice. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a good one. I forgot about that. Yeah. And then. But same token, now that you just said that, mm-hmm. a lifeline R. Uh, you want to have a permanent place for you can put the end of the rope that you're tending with, and you know you're still you know got the diver or the tender, but you want the other end of it secured. That if he had a heart attack and let go of the rope, it's not gone. It can't go anywhere. Those run under fifty, but more than twenty. Mm-hmm. It's like an ice bud. Something I also had with the gloves was a was a hood. Uh, you don't go through that quite as often. As you you may with gloves, but I've what I've done is I've layered, especially if you start getting into the colder season. So uh, maybe you've got a three mil that you use in the summer, and then you've got a, a five mil for the fall, and then maybe a seven eight for the winter. You can slip a three mil hood over over that. And you just you, you keep adding layers. So uh, I recommend that also, and a good point. Use a seven mil shorty with a zipper. Mm-hmm. That way I can put it over like when I wear the, um, the wetsuit and I've got the vest with a really thin hood, like maybe a three mil hood, if that. I can put the seven mil over it with the zipper. Fits great and you never have an issue with the brain freeze. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. What, what was your next category that you had? Or do you have more in that one? Well, I had under a hundred mm-hmm. and actually some of the other stuff could fit there, but Having a spare good mask, especially a prescription mask, mask is really nice. Oh, yeah. Uh, having a cheap, not a cheap, but a dive skin or even like a rash suit, people have worn those under 
wetsuits and or dry suits, depending on how much thermal protection you need. So what was your next category? Was it to, to 300? Uh, well, I got one still under 200. This is one that, you know, nobody's going to buy for me. Uh-huh. But I'd like to and I probably should get is that something like the Nautilus Lifeline Marine Rescue GPS radio. Ah. Now, a lot of times if I'm solo, I like to have a good waterproof box because that's where I put my cell phone in attached to my float basket. So if I come up, at least I've got something I can call for help. Mm-hmm. A Nautilus Lifeline is a little easier because it's already waterproof. And yeah. it's the same thing. I mean, there I can have an automatic distress signal sent out, plus they know where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. So and, if, if you haven't seen one of these before, in, so say you're, you're always concerned about your significant other making it back or being able to get back. This is a device that it, uh, the ones I've seen have, have come in their own case. Uh, when you get to the surface, say that you were diving off a boat and the boat's not there when you get up, uh, you can flip a switch on this and it will send a, a signal up to a satellite that will communicate your location so that uh, help can be dispatched. Yeah, because it's a distress marker. And then a lot of them have a, one you can also make a, a response, audible response. Yeah, but for 200 bucks, oh, yeah. uh, you, if I was up north doing a lot of wreck diving, if I was anywhere that had drift, drift diving or currents, I would have one of those on my body, let me tell you. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a, a great item. And we're talking about that. There's one item I've not gotten. I'd like to have. They're ugly. The ones I've seen. Are you familiar with a, a dive boat coat or a, what they call a boat coat? No, I I I, I haven't. I've brought along. Uh, it's a it's a repurposed uh, rain poncho. That my parents yeah. had bought for kayaking. You know, it has uh, has all attachments attached to a skirt of a kayak. But I have yeah. weatherproofed the heck out of that. And we start doing these early uh, dives in in February, March, and April on the boat. Uh, it's nice just to keep the water off you, even in a dry suit or a wetsuit. If uh, it just keeps that breeze and everything down. So, is I guessing that's similar to what you're talking about? Yeah, but there's one I, I've looked at a couple. One is called a Scuba Pro Men's Premium Coat. That's $200. And it sort of looks like the raincoat you always think about with the uh, the old perverts going to expose themselves. <laughs> yeah. A lot coat. of people get those, and they get them bigger than they want because then you put it on over your wetsuit and then take your wetsuit off. Yes. And I, as I recollect, SAS has sold those before. With that in mind, you put that on, you can dress on a freaking beach. Nobody's going to say a word. Yeah. And the biggest hassle with changing is that wind. I can change in 32-degree weather. That wind is what cuts you up. Yeah. But having a premium boat coat, and you've been on the boat coming back 10 miles out. It's nighttime. It gets cold. It's like, damn. You put that on, and a lot of them have hoods and everything. Fleece, you know, boat coat would be nice. Yeah. So it's kind of like a dive burka. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> uh, so, did what, you have did you have one in that area? Uh, I the, my next one I have is in the uh, under uh, three hundred, uh, and that would be a GoPro or another action camera. So, depending on those, you can even get those down below two hundred. But uh, any diver will love one of those, and you can't have too many of them. 
And the nice part about that, if they have a camera, the next thing they want is a light bar yeah. to go with the camera. Yeah, you, you know, and, and all the accessories. So if, if they've got one of those, almost all of them take SD memory cards. And uh, with Black Friday coming up, you can usually, they're just about giving those away. So you can get a, a multi-pack of those, and they're probably going to be in some good sizes. Uh, no, the bigger the better, but, you know, any, any size will work. Is that the gift that keeps on costing because you keep adding attachments? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but by the same token, to get your camera this year, a light bar next year, birthday, you get a light. So in one way, you know, think ahead. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Uh, but that that's, let's see, I don't think I've, I think we've covered everything else I have in, uh, in that category. I, I, I got a couple that I just thought about that are mm-hmm. nice. Uh, have you ever seen the little utility wagon oh, yes. that uh, Karen uses, the folding type? That is awesome. I've seen her use that on some really lousy trails like at Lake Horror when you have them going down the bank and carrying your gear. Oh, yeah. I use a dolly car when I'm going on the dock and stuff, but that folding wagon looks really nice. It saves your back as you get older. Yeah, yeah, because you're, you're talking about the ones where it's a, it's a four-wheel wagon. It's got... Kind of knobby tire, tires and the sides can fold down. Yep, holds two hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah. We, my family's used that uh, for the kids for when they were doing a rabbit showing. Yeah, they could put a bunch of rabbit cages in there, and the kids could help because they were a little bit smaller than they are now back then. Yeah, uh, but I did look at a couple of sites, and they were they were pretty good. Little items like a magnetic key hider, so. Mm-hmm. I know where do I put my key? Everybody knows I put my key in my in the wheel well, so somebody can find my car and open it up if I need it. But having a backup key hider, I'm gonna have. I had them before. I don't know why I haven't got another one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to. Yeah, I, yeah. You you mentioned that, and and there's other versions of that too. You can get it for some of them will hide in the hitch or, yep. or or other spots. So, but that that's a good idea. Uh, and the, the one I think we all like, though, is I have a nice dive flag dive towel. Ah, I, yes. I have a dive flag gear mat, a lot of the fold ones. It's like they look a little dorky, but depending on where you're at, they sure do come in handy, especially the gear mats. Yeah. Well, and, and you, you mentioned that. Now maybe this is another one for the lower down category, but a, but a tarp. You, know, you, you go into Harbor Freight or one of those uh, less expensive stores, and uh, sometimes they're free, sometimes they're just a few dollars. But you don't need anything to be too fancy. You just need something to put down on the ground while you're you're changing and and uh, uh, gearing up. And keep yeah, because it keeps all you. Yeah, and it keeps all your gear in one spot. So when you lay something down, you know what's on that tarp. Mm-hmm. So you can account for it after the dive and pack everything up. Yep. And then and that that gifts under three hundred would be. Uh, back would be the dye flag, you know, a full-blown uh, dye flag or safety sausage. Uh, you can get quite a variety of those, and they're and they're going to be in the you know, a hundred dollar or less range. And I do personally, I don't like to wreck it. Well, I do. I like Dan equipment. Sometimes it's a little on the pricey, but I like their submersible uh, bag. You know, mm-hmm. their safety sausage. Yeah, I like mine. I've had I've had three different other varieties. That's the best one, and when I go north, I always have that. Yeah, what makes that one so nice is how tall it is. It's not – you used to be able to get them shorter. I don't, even, I don't even know if anybody's making them anymore. But by the time 
Because when you fill it up, you have to put part of it down in the water for it to stand up. And, you know, the you know if, if it's three or four feet out of the water, it's only going to be two foot visible by the time you're done. Um, and that Dan one is quite large. Yep. And that's why when we talked about the mirror, the whistle, the Kim light, they all fit in a little pocket on the top of that, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then I had uh, another category, which was, for me, was the $300 to $10,000. So <laughs> pretty much, uh, you know, that it's for like a class of uh, of diver that we may not be quite in. <laughs> well, no, I can see you now. I can see rebreathers right in that category. Oh, yeah, certainly. That, that, one, that one made the list. Uh, you know, dry suit. You know, and these are going to be items. Like, you do not want to go out and just buy a rebreather without checking with uh, whoever you're buying it for. But I'm sure if you let them pick it out, they'll be more than uh, happy with the gift. Yeah. And that's one of those that once you buy that, you don't have to buy anything for years because you always need stuff for it. Oh, yes. <laughs> Upgrades, modifications, oxygen sensors, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, but like a wetsuit, I mean, a wetsuit is, is something that even if they've got one, uh, a second one doesn't hurt and you know, they can get one of a different weight. You know, if you're, if you're in the South and you know, the shop said you only needed a three mil and maybe you were a little chilly, uh, it's a time you could get them a five or even a seven uh, mil wetsuit. Or if you're up North, maybe you need, you want one to dry out. Cause if you're doing, if you're diving every day, this time of year, even, even with a, a dryer, it might not. It might still be a little damp, so nothing better than putting on a, a nice dry wetsuit, uh, and then a dry suit. You know, let let them upgrade. That's uh, that will they'll let them dive more comfortably, long time. And then with the, the dry suit, like we talked about, the rebreather. There's plenty of accessories. You're going to need undergarments uh, for that. Uh, stick with polyester. Uh, there's quite a few specific brands aimed at the dive industry that you can look into, or you can get some polyester long johns and uh, you know Under Armour long sleeve shirt. Absolutely. Uh, and then a bailout, you know, kind of on the on the safety thing. You know, a bailout's going to be a smaller than your normal dive tank. You know, maybe uh, a twenty, a thirty, or a forty cubic foot cylinder, and that's going to need a first stage and at least one second stage on it, and then all sorts of clips and things so that it can be attached off. And I recommend if you're going to do that and you're starting out, at least get a 30 at the minimum. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty decent size for shallow work. And uh, 30 doesn't work out for me. And I've got a 50 also, but it's a little more bulky. You're going to, you know, you're going to wind out as a sling bottle. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm in the 30 to 40 range yeah i i like the aspect ratio of those you know they're still the thinner size you know i think when you get up in the 50s and 60s you're you're almost getting into squatty larger tanks and you're not quite as streamlined but you size it according to what you're going to be diving because you want gas yes yeah and it's not just to get to the surface if you're deep enough to be using a bailout you may be in deco so you want enough deco not just get to the surface yeah and and they gives them some some extra options. So uh, now, if you're on a wreck, you can have a a twenty or thirty slung to you, and you can leave the the forty or the fifty on the anchor line. Uh, Never a bad thing to do. Uh, let's see, uh, bailout, and then uh, training for the next level. You know, if they've gotten their open water diving and they've been diving for a while, 
why not get them advanced diver or nitrix diver uh, training? You can go to the dive shop and uh, and find out when the next class is, and you know help them free up their schedule and give them the class to to continue their learning. And then uh, something along the same lines is, uh, yeah, how many industries could you get training from somebody who is who's a legend in their field? So uh, find out, you know, if there's a, if there's a dive person they follow. So say they they love the book Shadow, uh, Shadow Divers. Uh, one of the subjects of that is John Chatterton. He actually does training. You can reserve training classes with John Chatterton for your significant other, and they can learn from him. So not only do you get to visit somebody who may be a hero or an idol of yours, but you can take a class from them. And, and you've got you know other what I would call uh, dive celebrities such as Jill Heinerth or Steve Lewis. Uh, you know they're all available for training. So do a little bit of research like that or. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't know many other hobbies where uh, you can get that sort of attention. Well, along that same line, uh, knowing that there's events coming up that the diver likes to go to, like buy the tickets for uh, World Underwater or Diver Showcase or Go Ships, and kick in like an overnight. You know, yeah. Here's a room and here's the tickets for this, so you can stay all day and go to the night show. Yeah. Well, and that, and that goes with some some travel. You know, you can you can book them a local boat trip. You know, dive charter. Or and if and if your wife would like to go with your husband, which is always nice, you're getting a night out of town. So you buy it for both of you. Plus, you away from the kids, you got a nice room for you guys that night. Hey, it's like you know a little mini vacation for both of you. Yeah. Well, do you have do you have any others on the list? Not there. I only have two items under the unlimited category, though. Okay. My first one, and realistically, if I had the money, I would get a BPV, diver propulsion vehicle. Oh, yes. Heavy duty, that's cave compatible because I'm going to have a long run time with it. Uh, And I like that idea. The issue, again, with DPVs, especially that large, is they're heavy, so you're going to need help getting it in water and getting out or in the boat or out of the boat. That's one of the disadvantage I see to uh, DPVs, but if you've never used one, they are a lot of fun, and they're very useful in search events. Or, I mean, when you're doing search and recovery or search looking for something, I really like them. So, and you're still talking a couple of thousand for a really good one. Yeah. But my big ticket item is a K2 is a K350 submersible by Kitridge. <laughs> <laughs> And I was going to say a 250, but I'm saying, nah, if I'm going to get a freaking sub, I want a 350. That's at least two and a half people. Mm-hmm. So so what does that unlimited run if, if you're going to go out and buy one? Well, realistically, DPV, I can get that cheaper than you can get your rebreather, you know. So that's something that I could well see buying for myself down the road. A 350, my wife is really going to have to be. I'm going to find something really, really, really nice to do to get that. <laughs> well, I, I that's ha- if I win the lottery. That's yeah. a lottery thing. Yeah. So then I I had for what my uh, approaching the unlimited class was a dive boat. So that is one of those where you can easily, you know, and, and that's the gift that keeps on taking because once you once you buy a boat, you've got all sorts of things that you need to, to do with that and. Uh, and I think we could do a, a podcast just on gifts for a boat. So if they're a boat owner, 
Uh, there's all sorts of items that you could be getting them. You never own a boat. <laughs> That's just like having a teenage kid. <laughs> but but don't they stay around and like mow the yard or do stuff like that? Isn't that what they're supposed to do? In the old days, maybe. <laughs> Well, I, that's all I had. Did you have any others? Or? No, that was it. I mean, uh, a good DPV would be nice, but ultimately, you know, if I had the money and the time and a three-quarter, not a three, I'd need a big truck to haul that K350 around, but uh, that would be nice as I get older. I don't have to worry about deco, and I can go deep, and I can do some photography, that kind of stuff. It would mm-hmm. be fun. Yeah. And I could carry extra tanks on it for you guys that are actually diving it. I'll be right there providing I can be the light snail bar. I could be doing some good video, you guys. Yeah. Yeah, you could, you could be our uh, our underwater support system. Yep. Well, so that does it for, I don't know, this kind of become a, a, a semi-annual tradition. Seems like we, we cover this at least in some capacity each holiday year, but uh, it's probably one of the more organized ones we've done. Uh, maybe we'll do a follow. I'll do a uh, an article that goes along with this, post it out there on the website. So well, we I think our our ideas, if you put them down as items, is not a bad thing. I mean, if you go look at it on the internet, you're going to get some really off the wall items. Mm-hmm. But everything we've talked about, you know, but we didn't talk about knife. We didn't talk about carabiners. Mm-hmm. But again, depending on what you're doing, everything we mentioned is something that we use, have got, or have you know wish we had had. Yeah, and and a lot of these, some of the best gifts are the ones that you can always have more. You know, the they the anytime you can save a a trip by having a spare of something, that's uh, that's a good deal. So let's see, we still had a few articles. I think we'll we might skip a couple of those. And we'll talk about this next one. This was out of the Bangor Daily News. Divers find long-forgotten shiprock off the main shiprock. Boy, goodness. Shipwreck off the main New Hampshire coast. Uh, shipwreck, which was largely forgotten by history, was discovered this summer by a team of divers dedicated to telling the story. Found in 300 feet of water, the SS William H. Macon sank in July 7, 1942, off the east coast of New Hampshire and Maine. After a collision with a cargo ferry made of a uh, freighter whose name was made of Sterling, owned by Sterling Shipping Company, the past summer a team of New England divers located and explored the wreck of the Macon 75 years after she sank. Sterling was not only seriously damaged in a collision, continued on to port, but the mortally wounded Macon foundered and a few details emerged over her final location. The Macon was lost among 44 other U.S. merchant vessels during the height of World War II, resulting in the sinking of the Macon as a single-line entry in the Coast Guard report. Ryan King of Brentwood, New Hampshire, is a member of the diving team that discovered the Macon. King started diving when he was 12, and the love for underwater photography made the hobby more serious. We had been looking on and off for the Macon for the last three years. About four years ago, we were up in Portland looking for the wreck of the Eagle 56, that a friend of mine mentioned Macon had not been found off the coast of New Hampshire, and we went and did some research, scavenged about 20 square miles. We found out where it wasn't. Then we talked to some local captains. This spring we happened to get another set of numbers where somebody said, this might be what you're looking for. They found the Macon about 15 miles off the coast of Portsmouth. Diving team had been able to piece together a great deal of the Macon and her owner, 
uh, Pocahontas Steamship Company of Boston, but they are still searching for more specifics about the sinking, sinking and the ship's crew. We spent a lot of time doing Internet research, and obviously there isn't a whole lot we can help you with out there from 1942, King said. The team looked at the National Archives of Baltimore, Washington, D.C., as well as Portsmouth Herald Archives. At the time we first dove it, we didn't know when it had gone down. We were able to piece together the ship sunk about 2.20 a.m. on July 7th. The ship was running coal from Norfolk, Virginia, to Portland, Maine. Newspaper articles and documents from the National Archives confirm all 34 members of the crew, 17 of whom were New England uh, natives, safely abandoned ship and lifeboats and rescued by the Coast Guard. The history of it has been interesting because it feels like it was forgotten. This was basically two ships that ran each other and everybody got off, so it wasn't a big story. For me, I like the photography piece of it. It takes the history and photography and diving I love and puts it all together. Describing the dive himself, King said, Past 250 feet, divers are completely in the dark aside from the lights they bring down with them. During their first dive to the Macon, the team looked down and saw their lights reflecting back at them. This is actually the curve of the hull, King said. The Macon is lying on her side with much of it buried in mud. King and the other team discovered artifacts from the Pocahontas Steamship Company logo. One of the divers found a clock with a serial number on it which they're able to trace back to Chelsea, Massachusetts, clockmaker confirmed the sale to the Pocahontas. Due to the limited information, the historic records, the diving team is still searching for crew members, Coast Guardsmen, and relatives who served on the Macon are involved with the rescue. We'd like to get a bit more information about the actual sinking, but it doesn't seem to be recorded anywhere other than that it happened. We are getting into the quieter diving season, so we're hoping to have some time this winter to find some relatives and share some of the family stories that have been lost. The rest of the diving team, Danny Allen, Mike Barnett, Mike Bowers, Josh Cummings, Bob Foster, Nate Garrett, Jeff Goodrow, Scott Monancy, uh, hail from all over New England, including New Hampshire, Vermont, and Massachusetts. I would love for anybody knows anybody who was on the ship or worked for at any point in the time, I'd be interested in talk to, doing, uh, talking to them and putting all this together, King said. One thing I'm disappointed is, since he's a photographer from way back, there's no pictures. <laughs> uh, is that him, or is that the uh, the newspaper decided not to to print them? I don't know. I, that, I'd really be curious to see that. And that <coughs> most of it was in the mud already. I'm, I'm curious what that meant and why. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd love to see, like you said, some photos. And then we'll have a couple more articles in the show notes. We won't uh, take time to go over them here. But uh, one of them is 10 of the most beautiful sea caves in the world. And uh, they all accompany some photos. Uh, Interesting. Some of them are out of the water. Some of them are in the water. So uh, lovely to take a look at. And then there is what we would call a potential cool scuba gear. And this one is... From the Daily Mail, it's the 2,000-pound, and meaning pound is a dollar amount, not weight, iBubble underwater drone camera that follows you beneath the waves. So uh, that could be interesting. Uh, isn't available yet, so I'm still waiting to see how it works. Sounds like a good idea, but, you know, the devil's in the details or something like that. Oh, well, for $2,600, I think I'd get me a really nice DPV and a GoPro. Well, the idea behind this one is that you have a uh, a wristband, and then it just follows you around. So you don't have to man it. It just goes and figures out where you are, and it takes uh, what they call 360-degree selfies. selfies. Yes. 
<laughs> well, I thought about it for us, you know, because we do the podcast. We could do a video show and just have a fleet of these uh, ROV cameramen watching us. Because we, we know we look better with uh, hoods and dive masks on. <laughs> yeah. So, looking Did forward. you take a look at the... I was looking at that off to the side. It came up another item. And I don't know if it's the same device or not. But it's uh, really good shots of it being following the divers. Uh, this one here says uh, YouTube bubble camera. Yeah. This is pretty freaking neat, the, the pictures. Yeah. It, 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 so like I, I said, have to it change lo- my mind. It, it looks really cool. I love the design of it. Somebody had a really good mind for industrial design when they put that together because it uh, looks very well done. Right. The, the camera here in this picture looks a little different than the one I'm seeing on the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So this must be a different type, but it's, I mean, it's past the prototype stage. This is being used. Yeah. Well, the, the, this one is, I mean, I think they originally, did. does it go in the article here? And I'm just scanning it. I'm trying to see if they did a, a Kickstarter or not. Uh, features include 360 selfie, zoom in, zoom out, variety of filming modes. You can switch between them with a touch of your bracelet underwater. You can use a bracelet to call your eye bubble towards you, grab its handles, and film it, and flip it to use it to film manually. So it's almost like a, a photography platform. Uh, works with most action sports cameras, including GoPro Hero. Uh, two integrated LEDs allow you to capture the light. Uh, hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing it, but uh, cool. I mean, they could just send us one. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd give everybody their honest opinion. Well, absolutely. I mean, we can actually put it on the Havana, rock away. Yeah. You know, we've been plugging for people to send us gear all the time. Someday somebody's going to do it. I dare you. Maybe that's what I have. <laughs> I, have, I, have I, I double dare you to send us a yeah. camera. Right, because we'll give you an honest opinion, let me tell you. <laughs> and that's maybe they don't want the honest one. They want a glowing. Yeah, that, that's probably more to the case. So that does it for Scuba in the News. Um, if you want to keep up with us, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Scuba Obsessed, our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. And while you're there, why don't you click on our Patreon ad and you can head over to Patreon and give us a little bit of uh, monetary love. We could certainly use it. it help us fund the program as we go into the next year. Uh, right now we're... We're, we're probably a little underwater as far as funds covering expenses, so uh, we certainly could could use the help. We are entering, I think it's our ninth season coming up. Hard to believe nine years of doing this program. When was the first one? It was January 2010. Oh, that means it's 17 years going on 18. 2010? Well, and this is 18 coming up. That'll be eight years. Yes, yes, our eighth, our eighth season, yes. Yeah. Yep. We need to do some uh, meet and greets or something. We certainly do. Or the 400 or something, because that's significant. There's not that many podcasts go 400 or 350 for that fact. Yeah, this is this is the big 350, so 400. Yeah, we'll have to do something. We'll do some sort of party. Of course, the problem with all these 50s is they all tend to be the same time of the year. So uh, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll do one early. We'll do one. We'll have to. F- I want to do uh, my goal this next season is to have at least two meet and greets throughout the year. So maybe we'll do one early in the year, maybe one later in the year. Almost sounds like the uh, 
uh, Great Lakes Wrecking Crew schedule. But uh, yeah, I, I, that's that's as soon as I get out of robot season this year, I want to get in and uh, maybe do some a little bit of traveling and get some get to some dive spots. So we'll put that out there. And if you've got an event and you'd like us to mention it, you know, send us a, a line. You can go use our contact form, uh, chat with us on many of the social media, media, or send us an email at the show at scubaobsessed.com. That's one of the items. I've, I've set it up before. I don't have it on the website, but I need to turn it back on, which is a, just a directory and an event calendar. So we could put all that stuff out there. And it doesn't need to be just local to us. It could be anywhere in the world. We'll get that out and promote and become a destination for that type of information. So, uh, do we have anything that we want to plug? I mean, if Kevin was here, he'd be talking about uh, make sure that you support your your local libraries and uh, you know utilize the resources that of your librarians. They're more than happy to help you. That's what they're there for. And I'm sure it's going to be a little bit different pace than the normal questions they're getting. Uh, if you're searching for a shipwreck or old documents, uh, you can't. And be. most of them like to get in there and help you with your adventure. Yeah, I mean that's why they got that's why they got into that. I mean that's you know nobody went because they they want to you know do the Dewey Decimal System on a bunch of books and just stamp it and hand you a book. They 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 want to do some of the researching and archiving. Um, and they're and they're usually fairly well educated on those subjects and knowledgeable about what they've they've got in their library. So uh, use that resource. I got no majors myself. Just the club one. We know we have the turkey dive coming up on the twenty fifth. And if anybody's in the area and wanted to come on down, hey, we always need shore support we or divers. Yeah, we certainly do. Yeah, come out, dive. Um, it's going to be a nice river dive. Hopefully we, we get rain stops for a while then. It seems like we've had rain for the last four weeks. Uh, but it, it's a good dive. It's usually not too long. Uh, people like to see what crazy things are going on. And with all the talk about the, uh, the holidays and people shopping, uh, it makes a good story that the news likes to pick up. So keep an eye on us, and if we're lucky, we won't find a body. Yeah, that's preferable this time again. So I think we are to that time of the show. All right. So I think this will be the the final entry in our uh, one-liners, or mostly one-liners. Let me see if I can... Uh, find them. I'm trying to remember where we, we ended uh, last time. Did I say um, what does a clock do when it's hungry? It goes back for seconds? Is that? Did we say that last time? No, we didn't. <laughs> I wonder why the ball's getting bigger. Then it hit me. <laughs> Broken pencils are pointless. What do you call a dinosaur with an extensive vocabulary? A thesaurus. England has no kidney bank, but it does have a liver pool. I used to be a banker, but then I lost interest. I dropped out of communism class because of lousy marks. All the toilets in London police station have been stolen. Police say they have nothing to go on. I took a job at a bakery because I needed dough. Velcro. <laughs> what a ripoff. Cartoonists found dead in home. Details are sketchy. And that's it. Did I hear a sigh or a groan out there? <laughs> yeah, probably a little bit of both. A little bit of relief. So now everybody's safe. Yeah. So until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. 
Call recording has been completed. Oh, Dave had a few uh, items. He said that uh, under $50 is a hang air. Good way to drive out a wetsuit or a dry suit. Oh, and the $300 range was an O2 analyzer. That is a, that is an excellent one. Those are things you want to know because I, I think you can have too many of those, can't you, if that's possible? Because I think if you if you spent that kind of money and then you gave it to somebody and they go, oh, I got one of these, you might be a little disappointed. It would be nice to have one anyway if you're going to do dry or, you know, oh, yeah. nitro. It would be you nice don't, to have an analyzer. If you don't have one, that would certainly would be nice. Um, 